Hello and uh, welcome back to my podcast. My name is Edo La Rosa. This uh, episode will air the second part of a Brian Schaefer story. And uh, I hope that you listen to the first part. But uh, no, I seriously hope that you enjoyed the first part. It's uh, a little bit unusual and I know it might have been somewhat slow sometimes. But at least uh, it's uh, sort of a flow of... Uh, Everything I learned from this case. So uh, I know that we ended uh, sort of in the middle of uh, I was uh, talking about emergency exit. I personally think this case has a lot of mystery in it. And that mystery is kind of what holds it together after all these years. Uh, because by now, I mean, Brian vanished in 2006 and it's quite a while back, almost 15 years. And Brian's case has been sort of used as a, you know, the the five most uh, weird disappearances, like vanished into thin air thing. And, uh, well, by all means, he, he actually did somehow vanished into thin air. So the mystery is, how did Brian manage to get out without being seen or being recorded by any footage or cameras? And... Uh, that requires an explanation in my mind. And also, did Brian this purposely? Or did it just happen that way? So let's uh, continue then. Basically now, we are in a situation where we have explored the bar, uh, the Ugly Tuna Saluna. And we've ruled out a couple of things. Brian wasn't killed inside the bar. And... He didn't vanish by means of using the emergency exit inside the bar. He didn't jump down from the terrace down to this promenade and run away that way. So he wasn't found in the bar when the police searched the bar. So what took place inside the bar was only him visiting the bar. So I'm gonna talk about that now and also give a few uh, timelines so we have the picture a little bit more clear about that so when this trio of Clint, Meredith and Brian arrive to the gateway building they uh, take the escalators up and uh, we have footage of this because as soon as you arrived on the top of the escalators you had sort of a foyer where on this platform where you made a choice to go to your left or go to your right, basically, depending on what you wanted to do, of course. And just in front of you, we have a part of that building that I'm gonna come into later and talk about later, but uh, just up on the wall in front of you, you had a camera, a CCTV camera. So that camera recorded the footage from uh, basically the escalators. And uh, Brian and his friends entered the bar at around 1.15. So they are seen coming up these escalators and Brian is sort of relaxed, he's standing on the front and he's leaning towards uh, the handrails. And then you had Clint and Meredith behind him. So you see them going up and then they take a right turn and they are inside a bar. So that's the first footage. So we said that the time was around 1.15. So what happens? 
is that they enter the bar and uh, they sort of immediately meet a couple of students of Clint, actually. You remember that Clint was an assistant professor. So a couple of students of his are there at Agletuna Salona. Quite quickly, after Brian and his friends arrived at the bar, uh, Brian started to socialize with uh, these two students. And uh, these two students, their name was Amber and Brighton. And we have an interview with Clint where he speaks of what happened when they entered the bar. That uh, he saw some student of his. They sat down. It was Meredith on his right. He was in the middle. The two girls on his left. And then Brian was doing his thing. And he told Brian to stick around. Because uh, Brian had a tendency to walk away. According to Clint. So Brian spent most of the time chatting with his two ladies. And he occasionally left the table, so to say, to go to uh, some friends that were back to uh, Columbus. Uh, They had been studying elsewhere and they were sort of back for the spring break holiday. So he sort of recognized them and he went and mingled with them. And then we had also uh, the band playing. And... uh, For a lot of years, this band was unknown. And uh, there was a lot of speculation that uh, the band members or one of the band members uh, sort of killed Brian and smuggled him out in a guitar case. And then thanks to the host of the Comeback podcast, they managed to retrieve information from the lead investigator on who the band was. And we had a name. And the name was Rockhouse. So the band was uh, discussed in uh, True Crime Garage podcast uh, by the captain. He was actually a friend of the guitarist that played in Rockhouse. And uh, they had also been playing together. So he knew a lot about them. So he got in contact with them as soon as he found out that their name was Rockhouse. He was like, holy shit, uh, I play with this guy. What did he know about Brian Schaefer that evening? And... uh, Evidently, they didn't remember anything, basically. And even less about Brian Schaefer. So they recalled that they had uh, left by uh, the back exit. And uh, that there uh, there have been some fans who who followed them to the back. And uh, But I can mention some more about that later. But uh, Rockhouse was sort of played this glam rock, so I'll just let you hear a clip of that. And perhaps this is what Brian encountered when he entered the bar. So this band seemed to have been a, a cover band and a glam rock band and 
they like to engage their audience to sing along and but they played until it's not really known exactly until when they played but uh, it's been said some uh, somewhere along the lines of 1:30 so basically Brian get into the bar at 1:15 and there was music until 1:30 and uh, yeah you know i mean time passes fast so so the band starts to unpack everything you know they sort of leave the stage and do the things that bands normally do when when they stop playing for the evening uh you know they're putting the equipment where it's supposed to be the guitar and the cases and they assemble the cables and the microphones and uh some fans approach them they sort of mingle a little bit so this must have taken a bit of time um, but it was still a while until the the bar was fully closed uh, because the bar took the last order at around two o'clock but had to be completely empty by 2.30 but I can imagine that uh, the band members started to sort of move a little bit towards the uh, the exit and uh, sort of carrying you know their equipment and probably they couldn't carry all the equipment in one shot so they perhaps had to go back and get some more equipment and to facilitate this uh, transportation uh, the band were allowed to use the uh, back exit so they didn't have to enter and exit the bar by means of using the escalators like basically everyone else and uh, also most of the staff in the Aglituna Saluna used the escalators to go in and out and uh, so some staff used the back exit to bring up the deliveries that went to the bar and uh, if they had trash to throw away for the night after the night they used that same exit as well because there was a trash area in connection to this exit so the band members they parked their car there and uh, and they recall when they left that there was a lot of people around them so one of the guy in the band he he almost couldn't back the car so it had been pretty crowded by the time the band members were leaving in that area so this back exit was located at the back of the gateway building and uh, was sort of an an open street uh, not too illuminated so perhaps you're wondering a little bit about how uh, the band members and certain staff members of the Aglituna Saluna staff reached this uh, back exit. So to be able to reach this exit you had to go out from the Aglituna Saluna bar. And uh, it was so that on this foyer when you exited the Aglituna Saluna you had the escalators on your left now and uh, in front of you you had the cinema. So on the right side uh, you had the exit towards the back of the building and it happens to be also that during this time uh, this part of the building leading to the exit wasn't fully constructed yet so it was some parts were under construction and uh, so at this time when exiting the Aglituna Saluna 
you had uh, sort of a, a faux or a fake wall constructed, uh, basically a wall made of plywood and with an entrance door that was also made in plywood. Beyond this door, you reached the elevator or the service elevator that uh, took you down to the ground floor. And uh, taking this elevator and uh, reaching the ground floor, you had to pass a hallway. So this hallway was uh, sort of boarded up to prohibit you to venture off into the other parts of this ground floor that were under construction. So this hallway led you to the back exit. And then you were out of the building. In terms of uh, CCTV cameras, you had the, uh, the one overlooking the foyer and the, the escalators. But then you also had uh, a couple of more CCTV cameras. And the first one was located at the hallway area. So it uh, recorded imaging of this hallway. And lastly, you had a camera that overlooked parts of the trash area. So the next thing we know is that uh, we had the footage of Brian seen outside on the foyer engaged in this conversation with the two ladies at 1.55. So before that in the bar we had a couple of things going on. One is this uh, sort of comment that Clint's friend Meredith made to the detectives that uh, Brian and Clint had sort of an argument inside the bar. And uh, the second one is the comment that Brian made and that supposedly both Clint and Meredith remembered that Brian went up to them and told them that he was going to talk to the band. Uh, so let's uh, sort of unpack this. Uh, uh, so this argument could have just been nothing basically because by then at this time they had been out since 9 o'clock. They had been doing hard liquor uh, in a lot of bars and they would have probably ordered other drinks as well. So it could just have been a miscommunication between the two. They were sort of intoxicated. And uh, personally, I think maybe Clint was sort of upset that Brian was hitting on this on these two students of his. And uh, But we cannot know for sure because Meredith wasn't aware of what the argument was about. And she didn't provide any details. And then we do have the comment that Brian made. And we can sort of hang on to this comment while we go further into the story. And uh, so when we see Brian at 1.55 outside, uh, the bar was basically closing. You had five minutes until he started taking the last drinks. And uh, seeing Brian outside probably meant that he was not entering the bar again, but he was leaving. For a long time, it was believed that uh, Brian re-entered the bar after he was seen leaving the footage. But thanks to Brian Schaefer, Dead or Alive podcast, who interviewed one of the students, uh, Brighton, uh, we know that Brian didn't re-enter the bar after he was seen leaving the footage. So what happened was that Brighton went inside the bar and visited the bathroom and when she came back out, Brian was 
waiting just at this fake wall, this foyer wall, was waiting there with Amber. And uh, by the end, the time was sort of almost hitting 1.59. So, so they basically say goodbye to each other. And then the two girls leave with the escalators. They go down and they leave. So Brian is still there. And at the same time, inside the bar, we have Clint, who stands up and he tells Meredith that, you know, let's hit it, let's go. And they couldn't find Brian anywhere inside the bar. So they started to looking for him. But as the bar isn't particularly big, didn't take a long while to figure out that Brian wasn't there anymore. But they also checked, you know, the bathrooms and they uh, sort of yelled his name. And then they exit. When they exited, if Brian would have been there in the foyer, they would have seen him. And he wasn't there. We know in retrospect that Meredith and Clint left the Aglatuna and went down the escalators at exactly 2 a.m. What must have happened was that when the band finished playing at 1.30, Brian must have noticed and the band sort of starting to move. Brian must have noticed this. So the comment that he was going to talk to the band was probably made when the band left the Aglituna Saluna the last time. And uh, there were also other people accompanying the band members, the so-called fans. So Brian went up to Clinton Meredith, told them that he was going to talk to the band. He stepped outside. Basically, that's the last time he was in the Aglituna Salona. But he stepped outside. And then I probably saw the girls, the two girls. And uh, they were standing a little bit more, a bit further out on this foyer. So they were recorded on the footage of the CCTV camera. And then when it looked like Brian was going back into the bar, he actually stayed on the foyer for two, three more minutes. And then just before Meredith and Clint exited the bar, he must have gone into this uh, fake wall entrance going towards the back exit. What was the reason behind this then? In one way we have Brian telling us why. Because he was going to talk to the band. And uh, that could have been a reason. But also it could have been a reason that perhaps he noticed that. I mean he knew that the bar was closing. And he knew that Clinton Meredith were going to exit the Aglituna Saluna. So, so if he really would have liked to tag along with them and leave the place with them, he would have done so. But he had sort of another idea. But everything seems to suggest that he, he sort of wanted to catch up with this band. And there were a lot of other people who did that, actually. But of course, in uh, one way, it looks like he also avoids Clinton Meredith. And uh, this argument that they had inside the bar could have been one of the reasons for that. Brian was known to venture off, so to say, and to leave Clint behind. This wasn't really unusual for Clint. 
But we have the other lead also that Meredith actually called Brian using Clint's own phone. And uh, and this happened at 2.01. And that call went directly to the voicemail. So either Brian had no reception or, or immediately as soon as he exited in this way, he turned off his phone. Had Brian wanted to go home, he could have used the escalators. Had he wanted to leave together with Clint and Meredith, he could have used the escalators. Had he wanted to leave with Amber and Brighton, he could have used the escalators. But he didn't. He took the other exit. And the most probable reason for this is that he saw this commotion of people exiting and he saw the band members, he had observed the band members using the same exit. So this uh, action from Brian actually sort of became his uh, point of no return. And, uh, well, basically sealed his fate that evening. Uh, This is the the big uh, question mark. What happens from here on? Um, So, let's continue on this path then. On uh, Sunday, when uh, Alexis, Randy and Derek meet up at the apartment... They soon figure out that uh, Brian probably didn't make it to the apartment. So something must have happened along the way from the Aglituna Saluna bar. And uh, they give uh, Clint a call. And he sort of reconfirms that he hasn't seen or heard from Brian uh, since that uh, night out with him. So what Alexis and the other two do is that they uh, start to go back towards the Aglituna area and they sort of uh, scavenge along the way uh, to try to find any evidence or try to find any leads on what might have happened to Brian. Uh, So they follow basically High Street all along the way. Also they enter the campus area and they checked these waste containers. There was sort of an idea that Brian might have been hurt in some way and thrown into one of these waste containers. And uh, they also followed the uh, Olentangy River, uh, which actually runs a bit further away from the bar. Uh, but they sort of scavenged the riverbanks and they tried to see if he went down into the water and uh, it's becoming more and more apparent that uh, Brian isn't sort of along this route and uh, by then they uh, sort of uh, start to suspect that something bad might have happened Uh, so they actually contact the uh, uh, Columbus Police Department and they sort of make this claim that he's uh, missing. Uh, but the response from the Columbus Police Department or the CPD is that uh, they cannot really act immediately. But they understand the situation and uh, they sort of give this uh, uh, ultimatum that uh, they are aware of 
that uh, Alexis and Brian are supposed to leave uh, in the morning. This means because this was Sunday and on Monday morning they were supposed to fly down to Miami. So they basically say, okay, uh, if he doesn't show up at the airport, we're going to be all out with this. So the following morning, actually, uh, CPD accompanies Alexis and uh, Randy also comes along because there was sort of a hope that uh, Brian would uh, show up at the airport. That uh, perhaps uh, this uh, this sort of uh, a smaller escape for uh, one day, one and a half day was sort of a, just a needed uh, time off. But that he was supposed to be back to this uh, holiday that they really were looking forward. And uh, on that Friday also, Brian posted a message on uh, the MySpace site on the internet that uh, he said that to Alexis can you believe that we're going to Miami so evidently he gave uh, he gave this image that he looked forward going on this trip so they were hopeful that uh, he was going to show up at the airport Uh, but uh, unfortunately for them and for Brian and for everyone involved in this uh, he didn't show up so by then, uh, uh, CPD decided to go all in on the searches for Brian. And uh, the task as the lead investigator in this case was assigned to John Hurst from the Special Victims Unit and his uh, assistant detective, Andre Edwards. So they basically start from the uh, Aglituna Saluna bar and... Uh, and the bar shuts down for two days. And uh, also the construction that's been going on uh, is halted. So uh, they start looking in the bar. And uh, they can't find anything apparently misleading in the bar. There are no traces of uh, Brian there. And anything suggesting that uh, sort of a foul play took place there. So... Then they start to sort of uh, do this uh, mapping of the building, of the whole building. And uh, as the uh, lead investigator explained, they searched the building from the bottom up. And uh, they looked in the cinema, even though the cinema was uh, closed at the time of Brian's disappearance. And uh, they even checked the sewers. Uh, beneath the building to see if he possibly was there and uh, they sort of opened these uh, technical doors that are placed inside the building Uh, and at the part of the building behind this fake wall uh, this area leading to the back exit they noticed that there is construction going on pretty much everywhere and uh, this has been talked about like how in what uh, phase the construction was in and some have suggested that well it was it wasn't that bad and uh, they only had to do uh, paintings and some uh, boarding of the walls and and stuff but uh, 
John Hurst has commented that uh, the ground was basically all dug up and that uh, that part of the building, that construction area was was hard to navigate, even sober. Uh, so he didn't see why anyone would have wanted to go in that way and try to get out that way. But uh, he explained that uh, so the construction area actually was uh, on uh, on two separate parts of the building. So on the left side and on the right side, so to say. And uh, to be able to enter this construction area from the outside and to give the uh, the possibility for these uh, construction workers to to enter the construction sites. Uh, they had made these uh, entrances from the outside and uh, these entrances were sort of made of construction doors that were also made of this plywood material and the doors were sort of open when there was construction going on and when the workers went home for the day or they sealed off the place they they shut these doors and uh, they locked them with a chain and uh, with a keypad but uh, John Hurst has said that if you really wanted to exit if you were on the inside and you really wanted to exit to the outside you could have sort of squeezed yourself through the opening of these uh, plywood doors so in terms of the searches that were made in this construction area uh, somewhere along the middle of the week Tuesday, Wednesday uh, Brian's father actually had seeked permission from CPD to go in himself he had uh, found some uh, search dogs that he wanted to utilize and uh, so he asked for permission from the detectives to go inside the building and make his own search and they said that uh, not really we want to go in first we want to look first when we've done that you can enter and you can do your own searches so uh, the timeline is a little bit confusing but uh, we know that they searched the building uh, the first two days at least and then also probably randy went in after that and searched the discern searches by himself or with his dogs also so eventually the CPD brings in these uh, K9 units and they sort of uh, check the whole place out uh, even the construction area but basically without results and nothing to indicate that Brian had been there or walked there or so they're not only looking for the construction area but they don't hit on this hallway or the back exit or the trash area uh, they don't hit on anything uh, the only thing that they seem to suggest that they uh, uh, had a trace of was outside one of these uh, construction exits and this was the construction exit that was by the right side of the building where you exited you end up on that part and you had Wendy's restaurant in front of you. So supposedly one of the dogs reacted and uh, the whole thing of using these canine units is uh, very special. 
and uh, it also requires the the dog handler to be in symphony with the dog and with the dog reactions uh, because sometimes the dog can react but the handler misses it so that's a special type of balance uh, but uh, in the end uh, well some people suggested that uh, perhaps this reaction from the dog could have been that uh, Brian had passed that place of the building uh, earlier during the evening or uh, perhaps Brian exited this way uh, through the construction area exit and uh, urinated outside but in the end uh, the police sort of suggested that uh, this was not a confirmed hit by the dog but uh, could have been uh, ambient dependent uh, sort of something going on in the vicinity just at that moment that made the dog react so the only hit we have uh, from the search dogs is that uh, there was sort of this inconclusive reaction from the dog outside the construction area exit on the right side of the building just on the opposite side of the Wendy's restaurant. So after they finished uh, the search inside the building and in the outside, the proximity of the building, they of course uh, venture off to other parts of the city, uh, the nearby neighborhoods. They walk into these alleys behind uh, the high street area and uh, they knock on doors and they also assemble more staff and uh, they have uh, policemen on horseback and they have people on bikes looking into green areas and parks and and they also they also search the Olentangy River a little bit more and uh, they have the more muddier parts of the rivers uh, they utilize uh, divers who check these parts of the water out and uh, and they check even more trash containers and ultimately they end up uh, checking the landfill that's located in Franklin County and uh, they can narrow down the landfill to a particular zone where the uh, trash area was deposited so they bring uh, cadaver dogs also but uh, to no avail. So next time I will dive into the CCTV cameras and the footage retrieved by CPD and uh, the piling up of pressure on Clint after the searches were futile. So uh, until then make sure that you subscribe and you follow the pod and spread the word on this part series A Brian Schaefer Story. Until next time, see ya!